Welcome to our Saturday simulcast. Tom Deanhart joins us. Happy New Year to you all. We're uh, the day before New Year's, New Year's Eve. Tom Deanhart down in beautiful, sunny, balmy Orlando, Florida, where the Boilermakers are going to be taking on LSU. Uh, That would be Monday at two o'clock. I think the weather's going to be good. Uh, Sounds like mid 70s, if not uh, close to 80 for that uh, football game. Uh, and this is the most, the strangest situation I think at least we could ever hope to have for a, for what is a really a big time bowl for Purdue, biggest bowl game it's played in 19 years. Just the the wonderful world of college football these days. And I know you're going to be finding out today and tomorrow when you talk to coaches, players uh, down there a little bit more about what's going on. But uh, really an, an interesting situation and really very hard to predict, Tom, in my view. I mean, if you look at Purdue, Purdue arguably has its five what, five best players out that you can argue if that's really true, but it's close. It's at least five out of their top seven or whatever that number is. Really going to be a huge challenge, one would think, when LSU comes calling a, and they will show up at one o'clock on, on Monday afternoon. Yeah, you're right. Um, well documented, Alan. The uh, the guys who aren't going to be participating for Purdue, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I don't think it's too much to say these obvious here, the you know top ten type of players on the Purdue roster: Aiden O'Connell, Charlie Jones, Payne Durham, and don't forget about Spencer Holstead. I know he yeah, did not. That's a big one. <laughs> He transferred to UCLA. He was he one of the best offensive linemen they've got. So that's four starters on offense gone. And uh, defensively, of course, Corey Trice, Jalen Graham are the big names and the two best defensive players on the roster. Would you agree with that, Alan? I, I think that's fair to say. No offense to Branson Dean or anybody up front. So, yeah, Purdue's going to be a little shorthanded. But, you know, LSU's shorthanded too, Alan. I, every team is. Every team's got a sad story to tell you, don't they, about who's missing from their roster. So, uh, but again, produce attrition is, is noteworthy for a lot of reasons. And, and yeah, the challenges are going to be high for the Boilermakers. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what they can muster. I was talking to, you know, Kyle Charters and a few other people. Maybe, maybe Alan, you can use a circle the wagons mentality if you're Purdue us against the world. Let's show everybody, hey, we still have a good team despite these losses. So maybe I'm looking for ways to spin it, Alan. I don't know. But that's that, that could be a mentality that the that the coaches and the, and the players try to take come kickoff uh, versus LSU. You know, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think Drew Brees brings a little bit of that mentality because he is not, you know, Drew Brees doesn't do anything half-baked. Um, he's going to bring intensity. Uh, you've got to believe that Austin Burton and others are going to get the, and of course, Austin Burton's a guy that's old enough that, you know, and experienced enough that he's going to fill in how well he does is another story, but I don't worry about him. Uh, as Gene Katie used to say, puckering up in, in this type of situation, he'll be ready to play. Mm-hmm. I, I do think if you're looking for good ways to spin this, I agree with you, Drew Brees and Mark Hagan, I would argue, and maybe even Brian Brom too, the guys that have some vested interest in showing some, showing some people a thing or two. I mean, I think Mark Hagan certainly would like to end his uh, Purdue tenure. I don't think he really wanted to end his Purdue tenure, but he ended up having to because of circumstance or whatever went down uh, with the coaching change. 
And now uh, those guys all, they may have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and say, you know what? Nobody's giving Purdue a chance. Purdue a two, two touchdown and a point underdog as, it's, as it stands right now. Do you buy any of that? Do you think that makes sense to you that uh, that might help Purdue stay focused, stay within yeah. themselves maybe, and give them a chance against an LSU team that by definition takes the field even in, uh, in any situation with probably more talent than Purdue has? Yeah, no pressure, right, Alan? There's no pressure on Purdue. You talked about being, what, about a 15-point underdog. They're not supposed to win this game, according to Vegas. So uh, that kind of allows you to be a little loose and free, I think, and and uh, not, as you say, come in there all puckered up and, and, and worried and tense. The pressure's on LSU. They're supposed to win. So I think that's always a good uh, a good angle to come from if you're a team. And it's going to be really interesting to see um, what Purdue does offensively with Austin Burton, right? We know he's a six-year senior. We know he's made two career starts. He knows the offense. I don't think Brian Brom is going to have to limit the playbook, Alan. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll be wondering and be curious to see if maybe they don't lean on the run a little bit more. Um, maybe play to his strengths. I'm not saying they're going to run a bunch of option football, but maybe some more zone reads. Of course, using Devin Mockaby as well. Again, no Charlie Jones, no Payne Durham. Maybe Purdue wants to come out, maybe try to, you know, get that ground game established and play to some of Austin Burton's strengths. And for what it's worth, Allen, again, LSU still has talent, but three of their four best defensive linemen aren't going to be playing too. Yeah, it's the opt-out bowl, my friend. I mean, it is so hard to figure out. Uh, even I know Golden Black Radio this week, uh, we, Kyle and I were going through the Big Ten. I said, I'm just looking to see who's playing and who's not. And that, and that is, to me, is challenge. But I do think these Bulls do give guys a chance. I and mean, we saw it firsthand last year for Purdue. I mean, some guys that, you know, I understand that, you know, Brock Thompson was what he was. And, and, uh, but you had some guys that stepped up that did some things, and and maybe yeah. maybe that's what these bowl games are going to turn into, almost like early spring games or, yeah. or auditions for some of these young guys. And certainly, also the other factor that you know Ryan Walters will be in watching this game. He says he's not evaluating, but you know he's got it kinda. He's certainly going to look at effort. Uh, I mean, I think that gives Purdue a chance to make this an interesting game. And I know that you talk to Purdue fans. There isn't much anxiety that's coming with this because there's no expectations. I mean, yeah, there's, yeah. I mean, for a game that's on ABC, you know, precedes the Rose Bowl, all the things you used to think of as being the biggest deal in the world doesn't really matter. Now you just got to go out and play and see what the heck happens. Yeah, you're right about opportunity. You know, last year, I remember Sanusi Kane got a chance to start yeah. back after Diedrich Mackey uh, wasn't on the team because of academics and. And uh, you talked about Brock Thompson, of course, stepping up, being the MVP of the game last year after Milton Wright and David Bell were not available for Purdue. And Jack Sullivan, Allen, he had a big game with George Karloftis out. So those, those opportunities, similar opportunities loom in this year's game. I think of uh, in the secondary, um, Brandon Calloway. Yeah. Having to play, he's going to have to play off the bench at cornerback. Um, Antonio Stevens, a safety He's another guy I think he should, he's going to have to play some significant snaps um, for Purdue to help out in the back end of that defense. Uh, Sione Finau, the transfer from Florida International, is going to have to probably start in, in Gus Hartwick, or Gus, uh, sorry, in, in Spencer Holstead's yeah. left guard spot. 
next to Josh Coltenberg, who's starting for for, uh, for Gus Hartwig at Gus center. Hartwig, so, yeah. Sione yeah. Finau is the guy that's going to have to step. And one of these wide receivers with Charlie Jones gone, right, Allen? Who can maybe do what Brock Thompson did last year at the receiver spot? Will it be TJ Sheffield? Will it be Tyrone Tracy, Mershon Rice? I think there's still some good options at receiver for, for Purdue. And also, Allen, tight end. Payne Durham obviously is gone, and Paul Paferi is the number one guy. And Drew Bibber, a redshirt freshman, is behind Paul Paferi. So maybe Paul Paferi would step up and have a big game for the Boilermakers. Yeah, I, I think it, that that will be a very intriguing on, on that front. You know, LSU, also Jane Daniels, we don't know 100% of his health, uh, what his situation is. He's obviously very talented. They've got good They've got, uh, but we know LSU's got talent at the running back. You've well documented in terms of guys that nobody with big numbers, but as a as a collective, so to speak, they're very capable. We know that their top receiver went into uh, or declared for the draft, but they've got talent. So it'll it'll be. I think that's gonna that will make it at least a watchable game to see just what the hell is going to happen. From that standpoint, I, I did want to ask you a couple of quick questions. You, you worked hard to kind of figure out where the staff is. It's kind of been all quiet on the Western front now. Hard to know exactly what is next for Ryan Walters. Uh, um, and, you know, he wants to fill out that staff. Uh, the transfer portal could still be active. Who knows? This will be another time where I, you know, if you you had mentioned offers, if you're a betting person, there'll probably be some others that will enter the transfer portal after this. Uh, again, I guess it's a, it's a expect the unexpected. It's just the way it's going to be. And Ryan Walters is going to have to still assimilate that staff and get it all put together, uh, which he'll do. But uh, really an interesting situation, a very fluid situation. I, uh, probably as fluid a situation in Purdue football uh, that I can remember. Yeah, we've got a couple hires they've announced, right? The coordinator hires have been announced officially by Purdue Graham Harrell and Kevin Kane, uh, about three or four other coaches we know are coming on the staff, but have not been officially announced, Alan. Um, Corey Patterson, uh, O'Brien, Grant O'Brien, and uh, and Joe Deneen are, are, are coaches that are going to come aboard. By my count, Alan, we still need a running backs coach, O-line, D-line, tight end, and special team. That's five guys. And uh, – so yeah, I'm sure he's working feverishly. Maybe maybe we'll get news while we're in Florida of some other guys that'll leak out there. A lot of times, guys, all these guys change their Twitter bios before anything. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, that's that's something we all have on our radar. And it's been a young staff, Alan. We talked all yeah, the no doubt. about that. One and Corey Patterson's the oldest guy. He got out of college in 2002. He's the old man. He's like 42 years old. Um, but anyway, couple couple other dates to keep in mind. You talked about the transfer portal. That that closes on January 18th. It's a 45-day yep. window. It opened December 5th. And typically, Alan, if you're going to switch schools, you got to get enrolled in your new one by the time the second semester starts, right? Purdue, the guys coming to Purdue, that second semester starts January 9th. I'm sure you can enroll maybe a week late, so I'm sure it's not that hard and fast. But keep that in mind, too. If you're going to switch schools, you're going to have to do it here in the next couple, couple of weeks. And Typically, we see these guys, if you follow social media, um, after these bowl games in, like the next day, whoever just played the day before, there's always like four guys in the portal. Um, so maybe maybe some, maybe some, we'll get some surprises and more Purdue guys going in. Just something for people to keep on their radar. 
And uh, the other date is February 1st, right? That's going to be the next signing date for high school kids. And it'll, it's going to be interesting to see if, if, if the new staff brings any, any new high school kids for that second date. Because they only signed, I think it was 12, Alan, uh, in December. So there's some leeway in this roster, some holes that have to be filled. It's going to be interesting to see, again, if any more high school kids are added. But more than anything, Alan, it's going to be really interesting to see how many other portal guys come aboard, right? Because we know there's only one right now. And it's a big one with Hudson Carr, the quarterback. Last year, Jeff Brown brought in 12 guys, Alan. Could we see 18 or 20 guys in the portal? Wouldn't be sure. If it's going to happen, I mean, they, they don't have to come right now either. Understand that. Um, a lot of times there's that second portal window that'll open up May 1st to May 15th after spring footballs are over. That's a second window for guys who've gone through spring ball. Maybe they see what their role is like and say, hey, I want to leave. So there's another window after spring ball for guys to leave too. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, uh, you don't have any gray hair showing, so you're okay to have to deal with yeah, this. That's why I shave my head. <laughs> it's timeless. It's like Kelly, it's like Kelly Savalas. That's a nice dated reference for us old guys. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you an old guy's question because we obviously have a 36-year-old coach and and sharp guy. We know that. Uh, he's very impressive. We know that. Yeah. But I, the older guy, the more seasoned veterans like us, now that doesn't mean we're more seasoned really and we're not <laughs> necessarily age isn't the whole thing, but it would seem that one of the more important hires he's going to have to make, obviously he's going to fill out his staff, but also his chief of staff, whoever helps him direct traffic, because, you know, we were talking off air. I don't know if there really are any other big 10 coaches that have come in at this age, non-affiliated. You know, we talked about Pat Fitzgerald getting the job after Randy Walker's untimely death. We've talked about other young coaches, even Leon Burtnett getting the job, but he was on Purdue's staff. Leon, I think was 38 or 39 years old. You have to go all the way back to Stu Holcomb who came to Purdue from Army in 1947 at the age of 36, non-affiliated. I mean, it's 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 a rare thing. And, yeah. I, and I think that that's going to be an important hire for Ryan, not because Ryan, just because it's, it, it's no, by definition, it's new for him. There's no other way of looking at it. I'm not being critical at all. I think he's, he shows signs of being very mature, very capable of handling. Obviously, he convinced Mike Babinski and Mike Berghoff and others that uh, he can do this job. But uh, it still is a, it's still daunting just to be able to get everything put together. Yeah, you're right. And strength coach too, Alan. Oh, yeah, big pyre, certainly. A lot of people think that's your most important number one, yeah. Coach hire. So I've heard some rumblings uh, of, a, of a guy from Michigan, Kiro Small or Cairo Small, K-I-E-R-O, who could be a top target to fill that job at, at Purdue. So keep that on your radar. But that's the coach that's around the players the most, right? Uh every every day almost. Every day of the year, you know, there's, he's, he always has access to the players, unfettered access, more so than any other assistant coach. So that's going to be a key hire, too. So, yeah, you're right. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure Ron Walters has some good sounding boards to help him sort through how he should organize things. You know, working with Barry Odom, working with Brett Bielema, among others, uh, a little bit with Eli Drinkwitz. And and he worked with um, Mark Stoops at Arizona. Uh, and uh, Seth Luttrell at North Texas. So I'm sure he's bouncing ideas off some, some people that he really trust uh, when it comes to trying to get things put together. Because you're right, that's, 
that's a long to-do list for, for any coach, regardless of age. Yeah, no question. All right, Purdue has two defensive linemen, and they're in the portal, and they're playing. Now, Ooh, there was a, yeah, there's really. a three that are actually in the portal that are, and that are going to play, correct? Yeah. So, and we had, you know, it brings up an interesting dynamic. I think there was an injury in the Wisconsin – it might have been the Wisconsin's bowl game where a guy that was in the portal got injured and there were some issues, you know, some questions when it comes to that. But these are guys, you know, Jack Sullivan being one really had a good year and, and is really an attractive, did a great job for Purdue. Uh, certainly uh, Branson Dean as well, even though he had some injuries. Uh, these are guys that are impact players. What do you what do you think their mindset is in going into this game? And, you know, those guys a little bit, at least you've been around them some. What do you think? I think I think they want to have some fun down here, Alan. I know I would. Yeah. We've already seen some stuff on social media. The guys got to go to Universal Studios and that looks pretty cool. Yeah. Got to get out of the got to got to get out of the West Lafayette cold and uh enjoy the weather down here and do some swimming. Probably got some get getting some good food to eat too, right? And you get to play a heck of a cool opponent in LSU. Yeah. Uh, one of those marquee programs. You always hear so much about your whole life, and now you're going to get to line up across from those guys. So uh, I think they want to do well. Um, they're not being chased off the roster. No. They would, they would be more than welcome back. I, I just think they sort of want to see what's out there, Alan. And uh, we're, we see this all across the country. Just look at the Wake Forest quarterback, Sam Hartman. He's leaving Wake Forest after five glorious years. Why would Sam Hartman want to leave Wake Forest? Well, he is. Maybe he just wants to see what else is out there, Alan. Yeah. So I think that's the case. I, I think, again, like you mentioned, Sullivan and Dean, I think, are going to have markets. Defensive linemen are hard to come by. Good defensive linemen are really hard to come by. Experienced defensive linemen. These guys, I think, could have a pretty nice list of suitors um, when it's all said and done. All right. Well, I, I think you're right. I, I, I've been using, I don't mean to be flipping about this, but why are they in the transfer portal? Because they can. And, and, and I don't, you know, like I said, even as much as, uh, uh, if my own son was good enough to play and, and, uh, played at Purdue and graduated and had a chance to go to another school, I, I get it. I get those, those things. It's, it's just, uh, it's the ones that don't think about it that make you, make you wonder sometimes. And I'm not saying that that's the case of any of the guys in Purdue's situation, but, uh, it is a game of musical chairs and you, you better know that you're going to get picked up uh, for some of these guys uh, moving forward. That's for sure. I think, I think it's not just opportunity, but it's also maybe some financial incentive too. Yeah, no question. No question. It all plays into where they want to at least test the waters and see. All right. We are doing a, a rarity. I think the first time we've done this on our Saturday simulcast, we're going to do segment by segment. Tom's going to have a busy day, busy day Saturday. So we're going to get uh, Mike Carmen and, and Brian Newbert talk a little Purdue hoops, probably talk a little Purdue football too. Both those guys can do that well. Uh, we'll thank the Union Club Hotel and stay tuned. Uh, we're going to make a little transition and go to segment two with those two guys. Tom, uh, I hope you get to see Mickey Mouse while you're there and uh, and have a, have a great and safe trip and we'll look forward to your coverage. It will be extensive All uh, right. come Saturday or come Saturday, come Monday after. I'm so screwed up because of the dates. Uh, I don't know where, which way to go, but uh, have, have a safe uh, time down there and we'll look forward to hearing a lot more here in the next couple of days. Really happy New Year. Yep. Thank you. Second segment of, of Saturday simulcast joined by Brian Newbert and Mike Carmen. We're going to talk a little basketball uh, and uh, have that opportunity to hit that. I, I do want to, because 
got a guy that's been covering Purdue football since the since the beginning of time. No, not quite that long, but Mike has been doing that. And obviously, uh, and Brian too, there is a football game on, on Monday. It's still a strange situation. I mean, Tom and I talked about the early part, just this whole, whole bowl and the, what, what all is coming, uh, what all has transpired, I guess, in the world of college sports, but, uh, Give me some wisdom. I'll start with you, Mike, on, you know, is Purdue going to come in fired up? Or do you have any, I mean, just because Drew Brees is there, because Mark Hagan means business. What do you, I mean, just as an observer, what do you expect to see on, on Monday? Uh, I did freeze a little bit, so you yeah. might have to repeat that. Well, what do you, what do you expect to see on Monday in terms of uh, uh, what Purdue will bring to the, bring to the table, <laughs> so to speak, in, in, in uh, uh, Orlando? What what do I expect? Yes, yeah. uh, um, or is it I, low expectations? Well, I don't I don't know what to expect because basically this is a different team. I mean, yeah. this is a, not the team that won the Big Ten West. This is not the team that beat Minnesota and Maryland. This is not the team that um, you know played well. You know, at, at points of the season, this is to me, it's a completely different team. You got a different quarterback, different tight end, different number one right receiver. You don't have your top defensive playmaker. Uh, the list goes on and on. So uh, what to expect? I, I, I don't have a, a clear idea. I, I just think it's a different team uh, than, than the one that was in the regular season. But that's what these bowls have turned into. Yeah, it is clearly that way. Brian, any other wisdom from you? And what are you thinking you're going to see? I mean, in terms of that, do you, do you think Purdue will be, be able to make it a competitive game? I got nothing for you. I, <laughs> I, just, I, I don't know how Purdue can score. Um, yeah. You know, it's – you fall back on Devin Mockaby, uh, but you're also down Spencer Halsage and Gus Hartwig on that offensive line. And you're down Payne Durham. You're down, you know, your vertical passing threat. You're, you're down a whole bunch. Now, last year, I would have said Purdue wasn't going to beat Tennessee because of no David Bell, Milton Wright, or George Karloftis. I was obviously mistaken, but I think that this is a whole different animal because you can make a case that like five of your six best players this season, you can make a case that like seven of your eight best players, maybe even eight and nine, depending on how you perceive Spencer Holstage, um, are not playing. And it's not like Purdue is is Alabama or LSU, where <laughs> the third guy who comes in, you know, is good enough. You know, um, I just don't know. You have a lot of guys obviously on the staff whose attention has to be rightfully, you know, maybe somewhere else because they have to worry about themselves more than they have to worry about winning this bowl game. Um, it's just a really, really uh, unfortunate event for Purdue or a convergence of events because in the grand scheme of things, this is a really big deal for Purdue's, you know, football history. This is a big bowl game for them. This is a, this is a huge accomplishment. Now, in the grand scheme of the coaching change, it's kind of it's kind of the collateral damage, and that that's what's kind of a shame about it. It also underscores the uh, obsolete nature of, of the bowl calendar uh, in in modern times. I don't know what the solution is to that, if there is a solution. Uh, but when you tell guys they have to be in the portal starting December fifth, and it's already coaching change season, and now that comes on top of this this trend of the the best NFL prospects opting out what we're seeing at Purdue right now is not going to be one of a kind. It's not going to be the only time somebody experiences this. It's just too bad for Purdue that um, all of this happened. 
uh, and really makes the game, you know, so much less important and so much less relevant than it really should be. Yeah, I mean, Purdue's not the only one. I mean, look at Kentucky, look at there are many other, look at Iowa, look at, I mean, it's on down the line in terms of, I mean, Purdue may be a hit, hit as hard as anybody They else. still have their coaches, though. Yeah, and that's a big difference. Right, and, and that's that's yeah, yeah. kind yeah. of the kind of the convergence of all this is you've got the portal plus the coaching change plus the opt-outs, and it's just it it's the big three. It's the uh, you know the, the proverbial perfect storm. Um, as much as I hate that term, sometimes we just get forced into it, and yeah. this is it. They are, I mean, they also have guys that are in the portal that are playing. Yeah, that's bizarre too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it I is just weird. don't buy that. Um, I just don't get that, and. Well, um, and then you had the what was it, the Wisconsin? It's a good thing they are because that's your right. If you're playing without a defensive line, you know that would be a little bit problematic. And we've yeah. seen Purdue in its history play without a defensive line, <laughs> even yeah, though they've often. had players players on the defensive line. Yes, uh, that is a true thing. And of course, you had the injury. What in the Wisconsin Oklahoma State what, that game too, where you had a transfer portal guy get hurt. You, yeah, you don't want uh, guys uh, uh, looking over their – I mean, you know, it's just a it's just a strange set of circumstances. Who's and, your third quarterback right now? God forbid Purdue. you need him, but who's your know. third quarterback right now? Uh, T.J. Sheffield, I think he's attempted a pass. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> How did that pass turn out? Yeah. Not, not very well. <laughs> well uh, that's Jack, a good question it's just well you know Jack, there, there are all Jack. sorts of issues here right that if a guy if this guy or that guy turned their ankle in the first quarter you know you thought it was funny when when camden childers ended up playing <laughs> cornerback at wisconsin well there are scenarios in this game <laughs> where you lose an offensive lineman you lose a quarterback you lose anybody all of a sudden you're moving somebody from another position just to fill a hole, like when they had to play Kyle Smith at quarterback for one snap after Kyle Orton destroyed his finger in the uh, Capital the One Bowl. Or Capital One. Capital uh, One Bowl. That was a hell of a pass, ooh, too. Ooh. Uh, I would, uh, in all seriousness, I would I would guess that Jack Albers probably yeah. is your third-string quarterback. And I still think he has his negative 200 rating from his trick play interception that he threw last season. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> But he's destined to be an all Big Ten level quarterback to walk on. So uh, now <laughs> you do still have the option on a lot of your freshmen to still keep their redshirt years. Yes, too. So play. you might have to throw out freshmen here and there. Uh, you might have spent these last couple of weeks getting freshmen ready. Um, a coaching staff who won't coach these guys again after this bowl game has probably been preparing some of these freshmen to play their their first ever college football games. I'm thinking of like tight end to like. You, you've got Paul Paferi. Uh after that. Is it Max Clare? Is it Charlie Charlie Heinrich? It's it's Drew. Yeah. Who? Bibber. Drew and Bibber. They, yeah. Drew Bibber. Bibber. Back up probably. But yeah, it's and they can all play and not lose eligibility. I, I I'm putting my rose-colored glasses saying Drew Brees is going to keep them focused. Mark Hagan's enough of a competitor that they'll play hard, but that may not matter. I'm I, you know. That uh, uh, we'll see, we'll see. I, I it does have a heart of Dallas written all over it uh, in some ways, uh, but uh, and you don't even have a quarterback that. To, well, you had a quarterback with an ACL playing in that game, right? So uh, with Robert Marv and uh, that fifteen to eight, fifty-eight to thirteen or whatever that final was. So 
On to basketball. Let's talk about something a little bit different. Uh, you guys uh, were witness to uh, uh, what I thought was a good game last night against, uh, or on Thursday night against Florida A&M. Purdue is doing the things, Brian, you pointed out uh, as well about doing the things defensively that uh, and they're playing hard, still not making jump shots uh, at, at the level that they want to. I know you've been watching, Brian, have watched uh, – uh, Fletcher lawyer play for about three years now. He does make jump shots on a regular basis. So I'll ask both of you to just to weigh in. And you've kind of both talked about this in terms of is this a high level of concern? Is it Matt Painter or do you take what Matt Painter says and say, you know, hey, I'm really a kind of it's kind of a good thing, right? A kind of intriguing to me that we haven't we being Purdue hasn't shot the ball well and still continues to win games at a high level. Uh, Brian, I'll start with you. Well, I think that Purdue's upside lies in its three-point shooting. Uh, I think this Purdue team is better suited to win low-scoring games right now than it is high-scoring games, which is the exact opposite of the last few Purdue teams, uh, especially last year's team, um, because they're taking care of the basketball, because they're rebounding, because they're at least trying hard on defense. I don't know if they're a great defensive team. I don't know if they ever will be, but they're trying hard and they're paying attention and they're probably playing pretty close to their potential uh, from a defensive perspective. Um, they might have to do those things to win low scoring games in the big 10, because obviously things get a little tighter in the big 10, but also Purdue's, you know, offensive ceiling right now is sort of tied to its, its ability to make threes and they're getting good shots. They're getting the right shots. They're making the right plays. They're just not making the shots. It really is that simple. Um, personally, I think Fletcher lawyer is still, Still, still adjusting to life, being open every now and then. Yeah, I um, because if you watched him in high school, he had two guys on his hip every screen he ran off, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I think Ethan Morton is taking different types of shots this year than he did last year. He's not just standing there um, waiting for somebody to kick the ball out to him. He's having to move to get into Zach Eadie's, uh field of vision on some of those kickouts. He's having to move to get into, uh, you know, kind of position to shoot the ball when Braden Smith breaks down the defense, kind of things like that. Um, and I, I said that before the year too, that, you know, Purdue's going to, there are going to be some shots they took last year that are going to be very different this year without Jaden Ivey, without Travion Williams, uh, et cetera. Um, I've seen all these guys in AAU. I've seen all these guys in high school. I have a pretty good idea what they can do. There does come a point in the year where the, you are what your statistics say you are. Um, so while I think things are going to normalize a little bit, it's been it's been two months now, uh, or it, it's been at least a month or whatever it's been since Portland uh, when Purdue shot okay. Um, they're just going to have to do it. Uh, they're just going to have to keep getting these shots and start making them, um, or else everybody's going to be guarding Zach Eady every night, and uh, you know. Purdue is inevitably going to be victim, fall victim to that game where Zach Eady can't just carry you. You can't just offensive rebound your way into completely canceling out, you know, bad three point shooting, you know, stuff like that. If it just gets to the point where Purdue is a below average shooting team, as opposed to an outright bad three point shooting team, which they've been for the better part of the last four or five games, that would make all the difference in the world. And that's not a huge ask considering the quality of shot they're getting. Um, but they got to do it. Uh they have to do it. Um, that's it's it's just that simple. 
Yeah, I think the concept or the thought that they, that uh, a lawyer, especially, he's not used to. They are. They're standing there open. And sometimes when you're wide open, that can make things challenging. But you know, it's interesting. The only guy that really, well, Morton swung and missed in a couple of long threes, but the only but he really was moving played, when he shot him. That that's kind of my right, point. And, is that- and 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 Newman had the worst three point shot of them all, and it banked in. I mean, the other the lawyers are all around in the vicinity. I mean. They're all, almost all of them are look like they could be going in, at least from my perspective. But uh, um, I don't know, Mike. What do you what do you see from that standpoint? You've watched a lot of basketball and seen a lot of a lot of good shooters shoot, and 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 guys go through slumps. Is that what this is? Well, it's it's a prolonged slump. Yeah, <laughs> given given that, but I, I, it's it's the one thing that's holding this team back from being viewed as the the leader to to win the Big Ten. Now they've done everything right up to this point. They've they've won all the games that's been on their schedule. They've played well enough. Their turnovers are down. Their defense is better. They get to the free throw line. They shoot well from two point range. Uh, they just don't shoot well from three point range. And that's the thing that will determine, in my opinion, whether they're a legitimate Big Ten contender that they can stay at the top of the league. Uh, the rest of the year and go farther once you get in the NCAA tournament. But that old, that old familiar saying that, you know, water finds its level. You have to think it's going to happen with this team at some point because they are too good of shooters to keep this, to, to, to miss at this pace. Yeah. Um, and everybody's going to pay attention to Zach and that's how Purdue teams are going to play him until Purdue can prove that it can do it. And I'm not sure if Purdue gets hot from three-point range that teams would change because you'd rather produce you to three than a two-footer by Zach Eady who would dunk over everybody. Um, but I, I, I think there's a lot of things to like about this team because it, it it plays through different areas as opposed to last year where it was all about the offense. And if they were not doing anything offensively, they were going to struggle in every, every area because it filtered down throughout the rest of the team. The shooting doesn't appear to have an effect on the defense, it doesn't have an effect on it doesn't have an effect on the rebounding. Uh, it, it hasn't had a big effect on the turnovers, other than the one game against West Virginia where they had 18. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that they're doing, and I think one of the big keys is they're just they continue to get to the free throw line. They they are yeah. they are at the free throw line a lot. They're living there, and that in the Big Ten can win you a lot of games, especially on the road. Yeah. They, yeah go ahead, Brian. That was kind of the point I tried to make last night after the game about this team being maybe a little more Big Ten ready than a lot of teams. They're doing the sorts of things you need to do when you're not shooting well to still win. You know, there there are are always those nights in the Big Ten where you just have to find a way to win 62 to 60. And, you know, Purdue is doing those things. Uh, Last year's team did not do those things. Had they done those things, they would have won the Big Ten. They probably would have gone to the Final Four. They would have won the Big Ten tournament. Uh, That's a moot point now. It's, it's, It's not even worth talking about anymore because this team is very different from that one they're just in the same situation but Purdue is doing those things in terms of maximizing possessions and uh giving themselves a lot of chances and playing hard and I think that's yeah you know it's coach speak but it really is the most important part of it um so Purdue is doing the sorts of things uh you need to do when you're not shooting well to still win uh it's just it would be a lot easier and the margin for error would be a lot higher if you would just make you know, two or three more threes a game, uh, which isn't a big ask. Uh, and it, it's perfectly within the realm of possibility. It's 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 probably within the realm of likelihood even because as we've talked about Fletcher lawyers, 
an elite shooter coming out of, the, out of high school. Uh, Ethan Morton shown we can do. Mason Gillis has shown what he can do. Brandon Newman has shown what he can do. It's just a matter of those guys kind of settling in, I guess, and you know, starting to make those shots. Well, right, the one thing they—I just want to add one thing. I mean, how many games did they lose on last-second shots last year in the Big Ten? Yeah. I mean, enough enough to keep them from winning the league. But it, when you look back on all those games, they always had an opportunity to, to extend the lead at some point. Yep, and they and they didn't do it. If this team, as you mentioned, two more three pointers here, something else happens. You one don't have turnover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't put yourself in that position. Yeah. And and, and we we've kind of seen that script a little bit with Nebraska, where they had the lead, and then it got away from them. They were able to pull it out, but they're going to face more of those situations. And how does this team handle that? Um, will 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 likely determine whether they can stay at the top of the the league race. I think the Nebraska game is an interesting contrast to what we're talking about here because Nebraska had that stretch there in the second half where they just kind of shot out of their minds. Uh, Those weren't easy shots, some of them, too. And that's what Purdue hasn't really shown yet. It hasn't gone on that run where it's maybe not about what the numbers say at the end of the game, but it's about that anecdotal stretch where they make four or five and completely turn a game on its side that game where Fletcher lawyer makes five or six or Brandon Newman makes three or four that just kind of gets between the ears of the opponent. You know, I always say Shastra Stefanovic was a good shooter at Purdue. He wasn't necessarily nationally elite or anything like that, but what he did was he put the fear of God in opponents with those games, like the one against Virginia, where he goes off and makes a ton of threes early and the game is over before the second media timeout, basically. And that then, spooks the next team you have to play into crafting their game plan to worry about that happening before you even have to worry about what you're going to do about Travion Williams and Zach Eady. Purdue just hasn't, you know, really had that game where they flexed their muscles and, you know, absolutely commanded people's respect on that next scouting report. They are 13 and 0, but uh, it has been an interesting, uh, and rank number one. That's uh, uh, it has been interesting to find. The we are kind of talking about Purdue here. Like they're, you know, six and seven or something. Oh, I know. That's <laughs> yes. good. And then, but, but we got to talk I think, about something it, and it's, yeah, you know. All right. Now let's, yeah. As we bring a close to this, I wanted to hit on just what your guys, you know, I, I understand you haven't seen every big 10 game, but just kind of rate the echelon, the, the levels of big 10 competition. Where do you see, is it, is it, is the first level as of, I mean, I mean, Purdue's got an interesting January. I mean, they got to go to Penn state, got to go to Ohio state. They go to Michigan, they go to Michigan state all in that month uh, of January. And I'm probably missing somebody in there, but my point is, is who do you look at as maybe that really top tier of competition for Purdue uh, as it looks at the big 10, uh, big 10 uh, standings, who, who do you think it will be? Brian? I have no idea. I don't know who's good in the big 10. Um, you know, Purdue has done the most. Purdue has earned the perch. Purdue's Purdue's undefeated. Purdue has the best resume, not only in the Big Ten, maybe in the country. Is Purdue the best team in the country? Probably not. I I still think they're a little too reliant on one player um, to be considered the best team in the country. I think the three-point shooting we've talked about, I think there will come come nights where there are are athletic limitations that, that do show up. Uh, in some form or another, whether or not anybody in the Big Ten is really well suited to exploit that, I I don't know. But I don't know who's good in the Big Ten. Uh, You know, just when you think it's Indiana's time, 
Yeah. They get worked over by every good team they play uh, with the exception of Xavier. Just when you think Illinois arrived, they get boat raced by UCLA. Just when you think Maryland's okay, they get uh, destroyed by UCLA. I'm sorry, Illinois lost to uh, Missouri, not UCLA. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Michigan just lost at home to Central Michigan. Iowa loses at home to Eastern Illinois and then gets beat by Nebraska. I I got nothing for you here in terms of who the who the best team in the league is. You have to give it to Purdue, I guess, just because they have earned the benefit of the doubt here by doing everything that ever could have been asked of them. Uh, Ohio State, we'll, we will see. I, 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 I don't know if I necessarily believe in Ohio State because I, I don't recognize a lot of the names on their roster, uh, as I think will be the case every year. I don't think Michigan State's great. I don't think they have the sort of talent they normally have, as has been the case here the last couple of years. Um, so who's left? Wisconsin. You, know, you sleep on Wisconsin and <laughs> you pay a price. We've learned that many times over the years, but yeah, I don't know. I got nothing. Mike, do you have anything for us? Well, it's, it's, <laughs> no, it's just so, it's just so wide open. Uh, yeah. And it, basically the non-conference season has forced you to eliminate some teams from your thinking right now. Like Illinois never believed in them. Now they could come out and with the transfers they have and the talent they have, they can turn it on. But I'm not a believer in what they've assembled uh, in their program right now. And, you know, Indiana is supposed, was supposed to be an elite team. I, I don't, they're, they're a good team, but they're, they haven't proven to be an elite team yet. And you go down the list, you know, there, there are probably teams in the middle to the lower that you are terrified of playing on any given night, like, like a Penn state with the experience they have at the guard position and, and Micah, you know, running that program, they're going to beat, they're going to beat some teams. They've already, they've already beaten Illinois at Illinois and they're going to beat some other teams that they, yeah. And and they're going to beat some other teams that they shouldn't beat. And, you know, Nebraska, while at the beginning of the year looked like an easy out, you know, how they played Purdue. And now when they come to Mackey arena in a couple of weeks, that will not be uh, an an easy game for, for, for anybody. And you just go right down the list. I mean, I always got one of the better players in the big 10 and he can carry them for certain stretches. This has this this race has a has a has a chance to be so jumbled and so compact that I think it's going to be hard to ha- uh, have separation. But I think that opens the door for Purdue because of what they've done so far. What and I still think there's a there's a higher ceiling for them, and that's yeah. all kind of tied to what we talked about with the three point shooting. If that gets going over a two week stretch, Purdue could separate itself and put itself in a in a very good position. Uh, in the month of January, but um, they're they're going to take some losses on the road just because that's the nature of a of a twenty game schedule in this league, and um, it, it will be. I, th- I think this will be a very tight race when we get when we get down to it, and um, you know all the things that we talked about from Purdue standpoint are going to have to fall into place for them to to finish at the top. Yeah, and Brian did write, "Don't sleep on Rutgers," which is <laughs> right. Opponent. Uh, they, they, they would be scary to me just on their, their physicality and the way that they can, they can do things inside and whatever and, and play well defensively. Brian, yeah. I think this is, I think this sort of wide openness is kind of the new world order. Now, you know, the big 10 for so many generations has been, you know, the continuity league where you had the same coaches for 25 years, you had the same kids coming in as freshmen, and then you would watch them grow up into seniors Obviously, in modern years, that whole model has changed a little bit. And in the last couple of years, that model has changed a lot. And I think 
you just don't know what you're getting anymore because all these teams are breaking in mercenaries. They're all breaking in transfers. They're, they're taking time to, to kind of gel. I think Purdue doesn't really have continuity from last season because you're breaking in a bunch of new guys. A bunch of other guys are being asked to do different things than they've done before. But I think Purdue's lack of continuity is actually less than what everybody else is dealing with because I think you have more influential players on other teams, you know, learning on the job with their new teams as they go. Uh, Sometimes it just doesn't work too. Sometimes your best player is a new transfer and sometimes it just doesn't work, you know, and that, 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 it's what we might end up saying about Illinois season at the end of the year, for all we know. I think there are teams out there. I don't know if this is going on in the big 10, but there are teams out there that paid for their players, you know, one way or another. And one guy knows that the guy next to him is making more money and he's pissed off and he's realizing the coach probably lied to him. And there's probably a significant lack of harmony in some locker rooms out there. I've heard anecdotal evidence about certain teams nationally, uh, not necessarily about anybody specifically in the big 10, but I think that sort of stuff is going to go on every year. And it's going to make seasons a lot like this one uh, where it's a complete wild card where there's inconsistency early on. You have no idea who is going to be good in the second half of the year um, because no one was consistent in the first half of the year. Uh, And then you just kind of open the door for a place like Purdue. That's going to be relatively low maintenance. It's going to be theoretically playing the right way. And it's going to be a little more consistent than some other people. If it's playing the way Matt Painter wants to play and it's going to have some advantages because of it, you know, Purdue is not, has no continuity from last season, but I think everybody else has so much less continuity uh, because of everything I just talked about that, you know, Purdue's weakness is actually kind of turning into a roundabout strength. On that note, we're going to end this year uh this saturday simulcast for for 2022 and we need to do it we may do a little bit more of that too and what a crazy year 2022 was from so many different fronts not only in purdue but all the college sports but uh that will be for we can we can still hit that in the front i think what what is it on uh, uh curb your enthusiasm you have how long to celebrate say happy new year it's like 10 days i'm not sure how long larry david gives you but but we will we will hit that at some point in time, I'm sure. So, gentlemen, have a good uh, good New Year's, and we'll look forward to your coverage on uh, January second when Purdue takes on Rutgers, and much much more in 2023. And to our viewers, listeners, watchers, whatever you are, we appreciate you very much. Thank the Union Club Hotel also for its sponsorship of this. Uh, we appreciate them and their long term support of Golden Black. So, have a great New Year, a happy New Year to everybody there, and we'll look forward to next week on our Saturday simulcast. And preemptive congratulations to Mike Carmen for being named the next uh, commissioner of the Big Ten after Kevin Warren leaves to <laughs> go he, lead the Bears. Well, he, he first of all, he was muddling up 14 schools. Now he gets to muddle up one, and I'm not sure which one I, where I want if, him. <laughs> if the franchise is pre-muddled, though, is there muddling to be done? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Bears have got... been muddled for quite some time, haven't they? <laughs> yes, they have. The only positive that I can see out of this from the Bears standpoint is that he did help build the Viking Stadium. He was there when that was constructed. And the Bears are in that process now of going out to Arlington. Yes, so they are. I would say that this could be a good fit, but 
we will wait and see. Once I, you know, when I when I heard that he was this was a possibility, it's like, okay, good, he's out of the Big Ten. But then, oh no, he's with the Bears. I can't win. All right, that is a maybe he can uh, get the San Francisco 49ers to join the division. I'll I'll be starting my uh, <laughs> hashtag Bring Back Jim Phillips uh, ah, on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. That, that, that would that be a pretty easy move to make, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be the it would oh, be I the right move be. to make. And right Phillips would would be nuts to stay in the ACC with all that's going on in the Big Ten right now, right? I, I think so. I mean, it's I shouldn't it, say nuts, um, but but more stable position. It would I mean, be a logical Ten, move. Big Ten's got enough money to buy out his contract, and then getting getting back more here, influence, more stability, more leverage back here, over everyone back else here to where where he belongs. Yeah. yeah. Now we're going to put an end to this. That, 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 last bit, that last bit was very instructive because I, I, you know, that whole, the whole, that whole move would be fascinating if that comes to, comes, comes to pass, but that would just add more to, if it doesn't happen in 2022, it happens in 2023. So it'll be on next year's calendar year, but Mitch Daniels for big 10 commissioner. Could be, you never know. After he gets done with the Purdue foundation, uh, he'll, he'll be ready. So all right, guys, we're gonna we're gonna kill this thing. But thanks so much, and uh, happy New Year, everybody! We've already killed this thing. Well, <laughs> yeah, we already did. All right, sounds good, guys. Thanks again. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get twenty percent below MSRP for an average of fifteen thousand one seventy eight under MSRP on the purchase of a twenty twenty three Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland four by e or Summit four by e. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.